Welcome to Epiphany with Tiffany, a podcast that explores the deeper meaning behind the clothes you wear and items you own and how to work with the energy of the cosmos to make powerful shifts in your life, home, and wardrobe. I'm your host, Tiffany. I'm a holistic life and style coach and personal stylist with a deep love for fashion and a firm believer of the life-changing power of energetics. Tune in each week for an illuminating discussion designed to shift your frequency and connect your environment to your soul. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, welcome back to the show. So happy to have you back for another episode. Today's guest interview features one of my very inspiring, talented, and creative friends, Phnom Bagley. Phnom is a partner and creative director. She designs the future of everything on and off planet Earth. She is a French industrial designer, futurist, and aerospace architect, and she co-founded Nonfiction, which is a design firm that turns science fiction into reality for a better future. Phenom leads teams that create cutting-edge hardware and experiences across a variety of industries. Her revolutionary designs have been in so many different facets within the technology and health and education spaces. The products that Phenom designs and brings to life are really intentional. They are attainable, they're intuitive, and they always are aesthetically very beautiful. And the intention behind everything she does is to really just help humans access the ability to become the best versions of themselves. You know, I love all of that. Phnom has such a unique and fascinating background, which we really get into in this interview. She and I met several years ago. I was doing some marketing work for one of my friend's companies, a woman-founded tech jewelry wearable company called Tinsel. Instantly, when I met Phnom, felt so gravitated and curious about her. I don't know if it was her bright blue bob. She had an asymmetrical bright blue bob that I instantly felt super interested about. And she and I bonded over fashion and our shared love of oysters and just loving to get together and talking about a variety of topics. She's such an open book and she knows something about pretty much everything. And I am a very curious person and she and I always engage in really interesting conversations. We can go down many a different rabbit holes. Today's episode, we talk a little bit about a lot of different things including her background, her work as an industrial designer and space architect and futurist, as well as her approach to fashion, her background with uh, creating luxury handcrafted leather goods. She had a leather good company at one point. And the way in which Phnom's approach to fashion and everyday style is through the lens of storytelling. She really believes in the idea that what you wear, how you set yourself out in the world is telling a story from head to toe. So the pieces that she decides to incorporate into her wardrobe and wear every day are incredibly intentional, unique, and all tell a very special story. I think you'll leave 
this conversation feeling incredibly inspired and just ready to move past your own blocks. If you have any creative blocks or any dreams or visions for your life and you aren't going after them, let this conversation be the fuel to your fire so that you can get out there and do the things that you want to do because Phenom's story is really telling us how we can break the mold, break past our own fears and blocks, and how really anyone getting started, even someone like her that I really feel inspired by, has gone through a process of not knowing what they're doing, not feeling comfortable to get started. There's a lot of unknowns in the beginning, but that not letting that stop you, getting out there anyways, getting started. And sure enough, the more you put yourself out there, the more things start to unfold, the more people start to see and appreciate the work that you are doing and creating, and the more that the universe is able to align the energetic match of opportunities to you that really fits in line with the things that you are going for. So please enjoy this conversation with Phnom Bagley and see my show notes to get links to her website, her LinkedIn, and her amazing YouTube channel, which has a design series that I think you'll find really fascinating. One quick little announcement before I forget and before we dive in. I am now working with a supplement company. When I was listening back to the episode with Phnom, she mentioned some supplements that I turned her on to that she still uses and incorporates in her daily routine, which just made me feel so good because supplements have helped me so much with my own elevated existence in life. And I am proud to say that I am now teamed up with a supplement company that I know and trust. Cured Nutrition is a premium provider of cannabinoid, functional mushroom, and adaptogen products designed to help you feel your best. Their product line features organic and squeaky clean ingredients. All products are non-GMO, gluten-free, made in the USA, and really easy to incorporate in your daily routine. I really love their raw CBD full spectrum hemp oil, their aura gut health supplement, and their Zen relaxation and sleep supplement for the evening time. So if you would like to try those out, coupon code epiphany will get you 10% off your first order. Enjoy. And now for reals onto the interview with Phnom Bagley. Hi, Phnom. Hi, Tiffany. It's good to see you. So good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. I miss the office. You're in the nonfiction studios and I worked out of your office last year. You let me sublet a desk and I totally miss coming in. It's such an inspiring office place, like very creative, um, of course, and just so fun to be in the mix a little bit last year with you. Yeah, it was it was super fun to have you here. You were actually sitting in the room I'm in right now, which is a material library. And for those who can see behind me, um, we have this fantastic collection of materials that you can touch and smell and you know bite if you want to. Um, you know, ranging r- ranging from uh, you know pineapple leather all the way to carbon nanotubes. So pretty pretty nerdy stuff. A little bit of everything. And I found when I was trying to create a brainstorm, when I was working down there, I would just walk around and look at all the different materials. And even though it had nothing to do with what I was working on, it just got the wheels turning. And that's just like surrounding yourself 
in creative environment just can really help foster the creative brain. Yeah. I'm actually not sure it has nothing to do with what you do since you're dealing with fashion, with um, variety, with you know alignment uh, between someone's needs and what they, what they have around them. Uh, I think the materials that we put in the projects that we work on do the same thing, right? And they can take the form of of clothing, or they can take the form of architecture or or products. So, um, so I think there is a lot of alignment actually. That's very true. It's a good point. There's a lot of overlap, and materials can be used in so many different ways and applied so many different ways. Well, let's just back up a second. I really like to start my guest interviews by asking a couple of rapid fire questions so people can get to know you a little bit on your day-to-day life. Can you uh, walk us through some rituals that guide your day? Do you have anything you do in the morning or in the evenings that are your anchor point day-to-day? Yes. Um, So I chug a large glass of water in the morning with um, a few of the... uh, the supplements that you have uh, recommended me, actually. Um, there was a period of my life where stress and anxiety was a little bit overwhelming. Um, so I still take those and it's been life-changing. And I can, sh- I can actually tell when I fall behind and don't take them for a few days um, that I can feel a change in my body. So being regular about uh, supplements has been uh, has been wonderful. Um you know, I, I make my bed every every morning. You know, it's that basic rule of uh, the first thing you have to get done in the morning is your bed. So you, and getting other things done throughout the day is uh, is much easier. Um, I have a red colored living room. Um, the couch is red. The walls are red. The fish is red. Everything is red. Bright and, red. Bright, to, like tomato red. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I've had a lot of people like, you know, when, when I was painting it, commenting on how it's going to make the room smaller. And, and you know, this is not really something that um, is common or, you know, shocking and all that. And, uh, and the room does exactly what I wanted to do, which is really creating this cocoon, this like wrap around uh, my body when I'm in there. So when I'm reading and relaxing, um, I do it in a red environment and it's, it, there's a warmth and a, it's, it's like a, a room hug. That's what it feels like. And Ooh, I love uh, and that. I that's that. Um, other rituals. Um, I, I like to keep my work and my home environments clean at all times. So uh, you will never see dishes laying around for like a day. <laughs> um, you know, uh, making sure surfaces are clean. That you know, it's it's not necessarily for welcoming anybody in that space. Is even for myself. I like to come home to a clean house. Um, you know, even even after I, I come back from travel, I don't want to have to come back and have to like undo my suitcases, and and have a bunch of stuff around. I just want things to be where they are. I also um, have a yoga room in my house in San Francisco. Uh, which is this this space full of rituals? You know, when I when I decide to practice yoga, um, I either do it silently with uh, the moves that I know, or I have a TV where I can I can have online classes play, um, and and I keep my 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 tools very very simple, right? Two blocks, one strap, one yoga mat, 
And then, uh, but I have to have my scented candles. Um, it's very strange because I have a lot of scented candles and I, and I light them at the same time. So you, you would think that all the smells would be overwhelming at the same time, but, but for some reason it gives me a lot of energy. Um, so, so that's, that's a wonderful thing to have in my life. I love these examples. I think everything that you mentioned and just what I know of you from being friends with you for so many years, everything you do is so intentional and you really approach things. It feels like in a simple way, but a very intentional way. And so you're not overthinking it. You're not overcomplicating it, but it's so much more effective that way. And I love the idea of your red living room being a cocoon, which I never would have pictured unless you walked us through that. But when I started thinking about it, it's like red light at night, which is something I'm a big fan of in the evenings as well to kind of calm the nervous system, that warm, that warmth, the warm light can really help calm and soothe our nerves. And so it's really interesting that you experience that in your living room. I it's funny that. because some literature says that red excites um, yes, yes. the appetite and it doesn't seem to be doing that in that particular room. Um, I don't know what the neuroesthetics behind that are, um, but I don't know if it's the geometry, the fact that there are many, many styles uh, on top of each other um, going on, but or 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 if I'm used to them, but 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 no, it's a place of calm for me. Uh, it's a place where I'm very comfortable being by myself, and it's a place I'm I'm very comfortable welcoming people to. Mm, yes, love that, and you are. So uh, welcoming. You love to host dinner parties. I've had many a fun evenings at your backyard barbecues and dinner parties inside your home. You just have such a, the flow of the home in San Francisco has such a nice flow as well as the office that you and Martis work out of in San Francisco. And I know that that was another probably intention point for you is you really like to bring people together as much as you do like to work um, on your own. Oh yeah, that's that's a major decision in what places we we rent. Um, how many people can we pack in here, um, and uh, and and have fun with? Um, because without without that community of friendship, of you know even second degree or third degree friendships, um, we, we have nothing, right? Um, so you mentioned food earlier. Um, food is essentially my love language, right? If I love people, I feed them. If I don't love people, well, you know, an order pizza. Um, so now uh, I know how much you actually love me. <laughs> You've fed me a lot over the years. <laughs> there you go. But but because food is more than just you know opening a bag of chips and then you know and then put it on the table, it's it's really taking the time to combine the history of what I love. And then sharing it with people that I love, right? And it's a multi-sensory experience too, right? There are colors, there's culture, there's uh, aromas, um, there's presentation, um, there's you know different ways of eating as well. You know, sometimes it's a it's more of a buffet, and sometimes it's more of a sit down. But every every uh, every meal is an occasion to make something extraordinary and. Thankfully, we have three meals a day, and some for some people more, what we can do this with. So, so yeah, food is so incredibly important. And I wish more people um, paused when they 
ate food and specifically when they shared food, right? No more of that staring at your phone when you're, you know, with a with a loved one or um or or skipping on important conversations because you're you're distracted in any other way. So so yeah, food, food has to come back into people's lives in a, in a central way. Yes, such a focal point. I love that. Well, I want to get into your background a little bit because you have such an incredible background. You've worked across so many variety of industries and tr- you've done everything from fashion design to industrial design. And I would really like um, my listeners to hear a little bit about where you grew up, your background, and kind of how you started on your path and, and what inspires you along the way. Sure. Um, get ready for a roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> um, I grew, so I was born in Paris. I am French. Um, and uh, I, I was born in the oldest hospital in Paris. Um, it's, it's actually where uh, Joseph Baker died, I think. Uh, and same thing for Princess Diana. Uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's quite a historical place. It's also where a lot of research on um, neurology and quote unquote hysteria was developed. Um, so yeah, th- there's a lot That's of history. fascinating. That's fascinating. Also, before it was a hospital, it was a, um, I think it was a a uh, a place where they would put um, uh, women um, who who didn't have a place to like prostitutes and places like this. And before that, I think it, it was a a in a sanatorium of sorts. Um, and then before that, it was a gunpowder factory. So the name of the hospital is Gunpowder Factory University Hospital. Uh, <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, I, don't, I think we don't yeah. often think about the energy of the hospital we were born in. If we were born in a hospital, but to have all of that energy merged into where you were birthed, I wonder if that had something to do with how innovative you are as a designer. Uh, I guess uh, one thing it has done though is uh, developed a love for history. So I like to know where things come from and why they are the way they are, uh, whether it's as a positive or negative, right? I think I think having a certain level of transparency in in understanding the context in which things happen uh, makes our understanding of the present and the future a lot clearer. So so that's where I was born, uh, and I grew up uh, about twenty minutes away from Paris. Um, in a place that I would describe as extremely ugly. Um, like full of concrete and, you know, graffiti and not a lot of, um, you know, nature or, or, or creative anything, to be completely honest. And I think that um, um, that awareness of that ugliness um, actually fueled my, uh, my desire for creating beauty in this world. Um, that's actually something I realized fairly recently. Uh, because I was completely devoid of inspiration, which is insane because I literally live 20 minutes away from Paris, which is one of the most inspirational cities ever. Um, um, but, but but yeah, that's that's where I grew up. So I stayed there until college. Um, and then I, I went through college in France and Denmark, eventually grad school in the U.S. Um, and, and I have been in the U.S. for 17 years. So in terms of career... Um, it all started um, when I was a kid. There were two things I wanted to be. I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to be an astrophysicist. 
I've always found um, a wonderful escape in the world of the night sky. Um, I was I was very aware of the infinity of layers when you look up at the sky. The fact that certain stars or galaxies are actually closer than closer than others, and that uh, our perception of the Milky Way or or every every um, uh, star or galaxy around that is 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 an illusion for the most part. So um, so so that has helped me be comfortable with the idea of traveling in space and time in my mind. And so I'd started doing that very early in life. And then I have turned that power into a superpower as an adult. Now what I do is that I take science fiction and then I make it real. And I do that for the benefit of humans, the environment and innovation. I get to work with the most incredible people all over the world, you know, fixing everything that I, I deem a problem, education, healthcare, um, the way we live in space, um, the way we treat each other uh, on this planet, the way we clothe ourselves, the way we use materials, the way we manufacture things. So, uh, so yeah, so that has been a little bit of a journey to create something that is very um, um, essential to who I am, right? I, I was... I got into the field of design and of aerospace architecture not to do what other people have done, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, the the innovation and the technological um, uh, development that have been happening in the last 50 years or so is extraordinary, but I wanted to do it my way, with my own personality, with my own guidance, and most importantly, I wanted to have fun along the way. I love that. And it's, it's so cool when you can reflect back to your childhood and see how, if we are tuning into our inner child's and working on what we were inspired by as little kids or what we were curious about when we were little, how that can inform what we work on as adults and what inspires us as adults. And what has really inspired me about your work is just kind of to your point around doing things your own way you have such a unique way in which you approach projects. I've worked together with you on a wearable project back in the day. That's how we first met actually, when you designed the tech jewelry piece for Tinsel, which was a women-founded company by our friend, Ania Williams. And everything you approach from that product, it was a earpiece necklace and designing the hardware for that wearables were just coming out. This was 2015 when we met, you actually had the blue hair back then, but you had, it was platinum blonde with blue and asymmetrical Bob. And now it's really long, but you still keep the blue. I love it. But you just always had this like very unique approach to design. And what I, what we've talked about often you and I is how people sometimes try and put you in a box or label your background in a box of like, Phnom does this, Phnom does that. And you, you really don't like being put in that box because you can always see outside or around any type of parameters or constraints that people would perceive as constraints. They're not constraints to you. Absolutely. I mean, we have been taught that way. We have been taught to see efficiency in the world through categorization. And, um, and, and humans are very three-dimensional, four-dimensional, five-dimensional, right? We, there are so many aspects to us. We evolve all the time, or we should 
at least. Um, and I think honoring that in ourselves and in others is, is the most productive way to go about life, right? I don't really ask for permission or for validation from anyone because I'm going fast. I have a vision about something. And if I have the, the means or the, the, the time or, or the resources to make it happen, I will make it happen. It's that, that's just non-negotiable. Because I think there, there's an urgency in, in, in living life fully that, that I have. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's what you would consider the, the, the opposite of depression, where, you know, I, I see a possibility in everything, you know. And when someone tells me a path, I will, I will you know, come up with five different paths from that point. Um, and, and that applies to everything in life. And, and I have been in situation, however, where, 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 where people were not aligned with that, right? They were quick to make assumptions about me. You know, the fact that I dressed, um, you know, with colors and with interesting uh, silhouettes and, and interesting materials. And, you know, I, I like to tell a story from, from head to toe because first impressions are important. You, know, you want to make people... Uh, interested, you want to make people comfortable, you want to make people curious, right? I, I like to have conversation with strangers, but when I show myself like this to quote-unquote serious conferences about, you know, the future of space stations or whatever, uh, it's it throws people off. And, and, and many, many times people have made assumptions that uh, what I did was quote-unquote frivolous, until they realize that what I do is actually revolutionary and real, right? And I have gotten many apologies actually from people <laughs> who have gone through this process, but I like that because it's, it's, it means that I'm triggering a, a, a level of discomfort that opens up into open-mindedness. And I think and that's the point of all of it. Yes. I love that. I, realized that recently. It's like when we do things that are different, I have a little bit of a unique approach to the way I work as well. And sometimes I think it triggers people. And I realized how much of a gift that is because it's getting people to stop and think if you're being triggered, there's usually some kind of judgment you hold towards yourself about something that you're seeing reflected in the other person that's triggering you. And that can be that moment. If you can take a pause to reflect on maybe a mindset shift that needs to happen, maybe some sort of breakthrough you can have around your own box that you're putting yourself in to think a certain way, to, to work a certain way and to dance in life a certain way. Absolutely. So I want to talk about your style because like everything you design in your career and, and in your life, your style also translates. It's very intentional you have a very innovative wardrobe, very unique pieces. Where did you get inspired by fashion? And was it something that you've always had since growing up? Have you always loved to creatively express yourself through clothes or is that something that evolved over time? So as a kid, I was a little bit of a contrarian. Um, so to give you an example, in high school, I was, I was in high school in the 90s you know, like kids were wearing jeans and, um, you know, t-shirts and like jean jackets and, you know, things like that. Um, I, 
I've owned one pair of jeans my entire life, and that was <laughs> a long time ago. Um, I, you know, it's I, I wore suits back then because I wanted to stand out. I wanted to explore what it meant to be the one that's that didn't fit because I was very always very comfortable with not fitting. Um, right? Uh, you hear a lot of like coming of age, um, adolescents, adolescent, um, you know, high school stories where, where the whole problem is fitting in, but like, I, I never cared about that. I, I, I was fine with other people having their own lives, but I, I was interested in exploring my own. So that's, that's where, where it started. I had a period of my life where I was, um, um, I, I would say Harajuku, um, you know, all the colors of the rainbows all the time. And, um, and the end of that phase was when I moved to the U.S. So when I met my husband 24 hours after I landed in the U.S., he saw the tale of that. Um, actually, you, you know, you should hear him uh, describe what I looked like <laughs> when we met. It's like, it was this tall uh, Asian woman with like this crazy uh, asymmetrical hair and then two socks with like two different colors and like these weird high heels. Like, I didn't know what to say to her. I'm like, yeah, that, that was me. Uh, <laughs> but he was clearly um, in- interested from the beginning. <laughs> well, um, it was absolutely not love at first sight. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to so. get into that. <laughs> and then, um, and then after that, but the whole time I was always interested in, um, in materials and in colors. Uh, I love color. I think color is life. Uh, without color, we don't have, um, we don't have a starting point in any conversation. You know, food is color, um, materials are color, even the color of my hair, right? I used to change my hair fairly drastically every year. You know, when you look back at pictures, you can tell what year the picture was taken just based on the haircut I had. And, um, but unfortunately about four years ago, I started doing a, a lot of public speaking and the blue hair that I've done right now is, is what people recognize me by. So it has become a little bit of a signature. I hope it doesn't become something as, as um, dated as um, Anna Bintour from, from, from Vogue, but uh, down the line. But, you know, that's what I have right now. But in terms of like what I wear and what I've been wearing for, uh, for, for the past 10, 12 years, it's a lot of Japanese and Belgian fashion. Uh, to me, they're the most um, innovative, the most comfortable, the most fun, the most versatile uh, types of design. Um, I have never worn anything that's close to my body, not because I don't like my body, my body's fine, but it's just, I love ample volumes um, and, uh, and they make me very comfortable. I can't believe there was a time I used to be able to wear heels because for the last 10 years, I I, it's one time a year at most, and I regret every minute of it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can't even picture you in heels. I feel like your birthday party this year, you wore heels, and that was I was like, wait, who is this? Exactly, <laughs> I've never seen you wear heels. It's it's it just doesn't happen. I I don't know how to walk in heels. I do not I do not have you know the the, the hip the, the the back you know stature for it. I guess also I am completely out of practice. So, so yeah, lots of flats. Um, you know, what I'm wearing right now is, is, um, is, is actually a lot of what I'm talking about. I have a Isabelle Marron, um, yellow sweater, uh, that's very, very comfortable, um, with mohair. Um, I have this, um, comme des garçons, 
uh, skirt, black skirt with bows, satin bows all over it. Uh, it's really fun. And Gorgeous. then I have uh, mirrored uh, leather uh, Marcel shoes, flats. So, so a lot of color, a lot of like interest. I love, I love interest. There's um, um, one of former uh, editor of Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, one, one of my, the people I've admired the most in history, her name is uh, Diana Vreeland. She believed that um, uh, fashion is about making the eye travel. Um, you know, you have, the eye has to travel with her expression. And, and I think the way I put clothes on myself in the morning is very much that, like where, where do people uh, catch, catch my presence first? Is it a pop of color? Uh, you know, what details do they linger on? You know, what kind of details is, is, is something that can only be caught when you, you've, you know, sat in front of me or like had a conversation with me like that, that's super important to me because fashion to me is a wonderful conversation, conversation starter. And, um, another thing that I've done with clothes over the last, um, 12 years or so is that, um, every purchase that I make. I make the commitment to wear it for at least 10 years. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so I stay away from trends <laughs> because of that. Um, I, I stay away from things that um, um, I find very, very interesting um, and want to purchase immediately. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a someone who purchases things, uh, you know, uh, with an impulse, um, I always, you know, keep things in my, in my cart for like a couple of weeks and really think it over, think about the fit, think about the history, think about, uh, where it was made. Uh, all of these things are very important to me. And then once I have a validation, um, that I'm okay with it, then I, 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 I push, uh, buy, right. Um, I buy a lot online because I happen to have a perfect medium size body in every brand. So <laughs> That's easy. That's um, convenient. Very convenient. Yeah. Um, well, so and yeah. yeah, you really invest in your pieces. So you're not buying the fast fashion that most consumers and at least America purchase where you buy the thing, you wear it to death for three months, and then you move on to the next thing. And you have a closet crammed to the max full of all these clothes that you kind of half like half don't like, I see it with my clients all the time because you're constantly wanting, well, this thing's going to fix my problem. This thing's going to help me feel better about myself. This thing's going to make me feel good today. And then you're over it the next day, but taking that pause, being more intentional investing in really quality pieces. You really taught that to me because I actually was a fast, fast fashion consumer myself, especially in my twenties and thirties. It was really more aligned to my budget. That's how I justified it. But when you think about committing to a piece for 10 years and you, I always do the cost per wear calculation. When you think about if you're investing in a piece for 10 years, it's something that you absolutely love. You love all of the intention behind it, how it was crafted, where it came from. And it's a staple in your wardrobe. It isn't as expensive as it seems that you're spending on it at first. And you can really build a wardrobe where it reflects your style over time, not just in a given season in your life. And the pieces are streamlined, intentional, and you don't have a closet bursting at the seams that constantly needs to be cleansed and, and redone. It can be just really, um, freeing to live that way. Does, do you think it makes it easier for you to 
pick out what you're going to wear in the morning because you have such an intentional wardrobe? It is. Um, although what I buy now is <laughs> kind of sad, but uh, what I buy now is very much based on the fact that I have a terrible uh, sense of vision. And so in the morning, I, I don't have my contacts in yet. So I used to have this closet, which was mainly black clothes, like everybody goes through their black phase. And I would spend forever to find clothes to wear because I couldn't see anything. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of like letting your intuition guide your outfit, you're really relying on that. (laughs) Exactly. So, so I forced myself to buy color or like interesting textures so I could really find those clothes in the morning. It was, it's, it's so absurd, Um, but it worked out. Now, one thing I have to say is that obviously it's a lot easier to find interesting clothes and cuts in black because everything comes in black. Right. But when it comes to color, you know, finding colors that um, stand the, 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 the test of time, uh, that look good with your complexion, that look good with your change of hair, that, you know, are resistant to all the crazy stains you're going to put it through, that's quite hard. Um, so really take care, taking care of your clothes as you wear them uh, is, is important to, to, to me. Yes. It's, I mean, that's like half of it, right? Cause it's not going to last that long. If you are investing in, in these quality pieces, they require some maintenance and upkeep to keep them looking really fresh and, and perform for you. What about studying fashion? I know that at one point along your studies, you, you studied fashion, you have a, uh, handcrafted leather goods company, Eternal Lux. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in fashion design and construction and, and Eternal Lux, the products? Yeah. So I did not study uh, fashion design per se in the, in, the, in the sense of, you know, making patterns and then making shapes around the, the, the human body. Um, I, I studied two other things. I, I studied what's called luxury goods design when I was back in France. And that's really understanding uh, what it takes to uh, fabricate things of value, right? You take materials from the earth, whether it's ores from the earth or stones, um, you know, metals, um, uh, skins from animals, and then you transform them into luxury goods. And luxury mm-hmm. goods has been defined to me as a very interesting um, definition, which is the extreme manipulation of natural materials. If you think about truly luxurious product that you want to keep, that you're, you want to give to your children and your grandchildren, these are typically how they're manufactured. And they're crafted, right? They're, they're not just like made by the half millions and then, then distributed all over the world. There's, there's, a, there's a very specific destination um, to, to all of these, uh, these products. And they may or may not be connected to a brand, right? A lot of the times people confuse luxury with luxurious brands. Um, I think all of them, you know, have ups and downs on how close they are to actual luxury, um, debatable. Um, but, um, you know, uh, that, that's the part that, I, that I've loved. So I did that a, a long time ago. And then I think it was in 2014, I decided to uh, come back to school part-time to learn how to craft leather goods. And so I did that um, at a place in San Francisco that is headed by a French woman. And so she had worked at Hermes for 12 years or so and decided to teach 
uh, traditional leather crafting to, to students. So we, we learn how to create patterns by hand, to stitch by hand, to uh, finish the edges of leather by hand. And so, you know, at that time I was working on crazy technological stuff like wearables and um, you know things that uh, you integrate into your house so it responds to you and and here I am crafting things and then stitching with like two needles in each hand um, you know back and forth for hours and hours so so I think that balance between the future and the past has always been very important to me so after after I did that school I started uh, eternal Lux uh, that was uh, that was about 10 years ago and uh, Eternal Lux was really one way for me to express that merging of the past and the future, where I wanted to use uh, traditional centuries-old techniques, but apply them to contemporary design, right? So having uh, that fresh, clean, unisex, but also very distinctive look to the design, something that catches your eye from afar, but also up close, you look at the, the craft that was put together to make that happen. That's, that's what was interesting to me. And uh, so I ran that for about, for, for about nine years, I think. Um, and I, I'm sad to say that I actually uh, recently closed it officially uh, because my, my day job, which is running a design firm, is taking about 200% of my time. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I still have the bags with me and, and they, they tell a pretty wonderful story of a period of my life where I needed to have that aspect of design be true to my practice. I love that story. And I mean, the pieces are exquisite in that collection. The shuttle bag comes to mind and the wallets. I mean, they're in and of itself, each product you crafted are like little art projects. Like you could keep them in a museum. They're, they're so bold and unique, but also very usable. They're date, like you could use them for every day. They are gender fluid. I would say like very, um, approachable to the masses. And there's the level of detail in each product. You can tell that you had that really strong, intentional background that helped you craft these. And I mean, I love that it kind of, it sounds like it maybe inspired some of your work to date at nonfiction. Can you tell me a little bit about that and if it had an influence? Oh, absolutely. So um, one aspect of, of luxury goods that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about is sustainability. Um, so it's easy to talk about sustainability and using, you know, materials that are biodegradable. You know, that's the more disposable aspects of, of sustainability. But also creating products that people care about, that people repair, that people keep for a long time and then give it to the next generation. That's also another aspect of, of, of consumerism that is more respectful, right? Um, and so, the idea of consuming less but consuming better is very much at the core of, of what we do. So I translated that aspect of luxury design background into the work that I do today. And the work that I do today like ranges from designing wearables for for so you can fall asleep and stay asleep longer. And actually, you Tiffany was one of the models for the for the campaign. So fun! It was so great. Um, so yeah, working with neurosciences from UC Berkeley and 
and developing this product, pretty incredible. Um, we're also, you know, again, for the brain, we're working with Rice University developing a, um, a brain implant. So, so yeah, pretty crazy stuff. We're also designing the future of food for people who go to deep space, uh, 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 deep space missions, you know, going to Mars or like long-term <clears throat> missions. Um, we are also, oh, this project is going to be very interesting for you. So we're about to start this project where we are um, targeting the idea of uh, completely revolutionizing the, the future of fashion. So fashion as of today is an extremely wasteful industry, like yes, billions yes. and billions of you know, um, dollars and, and tons and tons of waste uh, being thrown out everywhere uh, from every country, you know, pretty, pretty mindlessly. And, um, and, and these materials are not just coming back to nature and just like de degrading and, and being nice to trees. They are polluting ecosystems. They are disturbing uh, natural uh, environments and, and really contributing pretty badly to, to climate change all over the world. So, so the idea is to create a whole collection of future garments that um, are going to use uh, biodegradable materials only uh, by, uh, or, or materials that, that are designed in a way that are very, very durable. And what we want to do is inspire all the brands in the future from fast fashion all the way to luxury goods to replace all the materials we have, we use today that may sound sustainable, that may sound clean, but actually aren't. And then we want to integrate more interesting materials. Like some of the materials we're looking at um, are made from mycelium, which is you know, part of fun fungus, uh, made from chitosan, which is um, uh, the material uh, shrimp uh, skin or insects are made of, algae, um, you know, graphene, which is this like extraordinary frontier materials that seems to be doing everything more materials to do. So really thinking far in the future on how that kind of thinking and that kind of application can completely transform our relationship to consumption and our relationship to what we put on our bodies. Um, so, so my aim is to create everything from intimates, things that are close to your body, and close to the parts of your body that are most fragile, all the way to spacesuits. So it's a range. So the the range is broad, but you know what I would expect from you, which makes me very excited to hear that you're doing this, is that you know this is the innovation that we've been needing and and um, desperately needing in the world to help combat some of these practices. But it's got to look good. It's got to be chic. It's got to be well designed and. I know that if anyone's even touching that industry right now with using materials that are compostable, it probably doesn't look very good um, aesthetically. And I know that you really approach with like such a well-rounded lens. So that excites me to see what you're going to create there. Um, and you mentioned we. So tell me about your partner in crime over at Nonfiction. It's your husband. Um did you guys decide together to create the design firm nonfiction? And I know you met in Texas. Tell us about your story of meeting and, and how you guys work together as a couple, because working together, I'm sure, can have pros and cons. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that we we met 24 hours after I landed in the U.S. Uh, in Houston, Texas. I uh, had moved there to go to grad school um, in aerospace architecture, which at the time was a tiny, tiny, tiny uh, program. Um, and uh, we happened to be studying in the same uh, building, but in different departments. And I had just moved to U.S. My English was not that great. Uh, I didn't know anyone. Um, and so his role at first was to drive me around, you know, to help me get things at the supermarket. I remember the first time I went to a supermarket together, there are two things I needed. It was toilet paper and a map. Um, that was 17 years ago. Um, and then about a week after I arrived was Hurricane Katrina hitting New Orleans. Oh my God. I see, you know, on TV, I see everybody freaking out. I go to the supermarket, everything is, you know, uh, gone. Uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, Houston is, 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 is not in the same state as, as, as New Orleans, but, um, a lot of the refugees that came from, from New Orleans actually came to Houston at the time. So, so there was a lot of that. And, you know, I had been in the U S for, for a week, so barely over jet lag and seeing all of this happening, you know, hurricanes to me were something that happened on TV, uh, because Western Europe doesn't have them. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was it was a little bit of a uh, of a uh, crazy time. And then two weeks after Hurricane Katrina was Hurricane Rita, which was bigger and headed towards Houston, where it were. So because of the history of Katrina, the entire city of Houston actually evacuated. And so my husband Martis threw me in a car, and then we drove inland for eleven hours. Um, and eleven hours only got us about two and a half hours away from from Houston on a normal day. Uh, there was traffic, no end, you know, no end, you know, everybody's trying to get as much gasoline as possible at the stations. Uh, I, I believe there was a story where a bus full of nurses exploded on the road. I mean, it was, it was very, <sighs> it was insane. And um, I guess we bonded over that <laughs> because after that, um, you know, escape and staying in a, in, a, in a place for about four days, that's where we started dating. And then, um, and then after, after I was done with my studies, my visa was about to expire. And um, I, was, I was actually fine with coming back to France. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll find a job there, no problem. Um, but then my, my, my now husband proposed um, and, uh, and then the rest is history. Um, so about nine years after we uh, were married, um, we decide to start this company um, because we've worked, we've worked in a, a lot of other design firms and realized that there are wonderful things happening in the design firm, the way they do things, the way they're organized. It's pretty great. And the other things that were like, eh, this could be done better. And so we decided to start that company, nonfiction, about six, six and a half years ago and, and really establish very specific standards of how this company should run, right? Um, one of the things that was very difficult, but also we're very proud of we've done it, is that we did most of the work. Um, a lot of business owners in design are typically started by very talented designers, 
but down the line they get bogged down by the the business and the marketing and the you know the business development type of work and cannot touch design anymore that's something that we never wanted to do so every day we make it um, a habit to be involved in design with our own hands or at least in creative direction so that is true to this day we're still you know, uh, basically the main designers of this company. Um, and then in terms of like how easy it is, um, there are some things we had to do, to, to do, you know, establish boundaries, you know, um, actually just tweeted about this a couple of days ago, which is kind of funny. Um, I tweeted about, um, um, you know, working with your spouse, a thread. So if you want to read it, uh, check oh, it I will be checking that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the rules are, are pretty uh, universal, I believe. Um, in, 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 in the rules of marriage, um, you know, um, if something is stressing you out, like work, don't talk about work after work, right? Don't have friends that are exclusively part of your, of your field of, of, of practice. You know, most of my friends are not designers and, and I right. love it that way. I don't talk about work with them ever. Right. I'm not even entirely sure if they know what I do for a living. So, <laughs> um, and that's fine. Um, you know, respect, obviously, transparency, trust, um, you know, the fact that we both have to have our own personal therapist, that's non-negotiable. Um, the fact that uh, we, we have the obligation to push each other to do better, but not too hard. The not too hard is the asterisk specifically for me, because I can push people quite hard pretty easily. <laughs> um, but, but also understanding where, where each of our limits are, right? Um, you know, my limit is that once in a while, um, I, I I get overwhelmed by 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 emotions. So I have to deal with that, and that's actually kind of the work that you and I have, have done together. Um, and 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 now that I'm on the other side, it's 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 magical. Um, and and also understanding where 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 we're geniuses and where we're not. You know, all of us have something we're really good at. So just have to take that part and just like have it blossom all the way. And then there's certain things that we really suck at, right? Like being patient, is just not part of me. <laughs> and um, so I have to like work things around my schedule, around the way I talk to people, around, around creative direction that allow for that lack of, of patience to, to not turn into something horrible and to perhaps turn into something very productive. So, so yeah, uh, working with your spouse is a, is a constant uh, state of work, but it's also very, very great because working with someone you trust really deeply, um, uh, you know, takes away a lot of headache. And, and also, you know, I, I kind of like got lucky because I work and live with someone who's extraordinarily wonderful um, he has the highest level of emotional intelligence I can think of. Um, he's, he's the nice guy. Everybody loves Martis. Um, I adore Martis. I can <laughs> confirm that fact. <laughs> he's amazing. He's so sweet. But like what, to your point, I, what I always admired about the way I've witnessed the two of you work together is, is that you draw each other's strengths out. And I always see Martis so as that supportive role for you, where he really, he's not competing with you. He's not trying to do the same things you're doing. He recognizes where you most shine, you recognize where he most shines and you let each other have your 
um, categories that you work best within and then support one another on the other things that you might need help and, and need to lean on. And so that's like such a beautiful way to have balance of energies in your business. And I love what you said about not talking about work after work. I mean, that's got to be one of the biggest life-saving points right there because it could easily bled, bleed over into all parts of your life otherwise. So I think having that communication up front with those boundaries um, must really, really help things. And I mean, you're both building something. You have the same vision and value. You have so much on your plate at any given time. Whenever I catch up with you, I'm always amazed at the amount of projects that you have going on. And one thing I asked you about once, I don't know if you recall this, but we were chatting over oysters as we like to do have our, (laughs) our lunch uh, dates over oysters. And I was asking you like, how do you get so much done in a day? Because as a new business owner myself, I often get splintered with all the different types of roles and responsibilities. I don't have a team at this point in the game and sometimes I lose focus, lose track of what is actually the most important. And then things fall off or fall to the wayside. And what you said was so simple. And it's something that really stuck with me. You said, when something gets on my plate, when something gets added to my to-do list, I, I do it right away. I don't let it sit there and linger. I don't wait on it. You just take care of it. That way it doesn't build into a to-do list. And it's often those little tasks that we put off to the side, we add to a list. And then all of a sudden we visit our list and we're overwhelmed by how many little things we have to do. But if you take it off your plate immediately, it's like such a more easeful way to work. And even setting up our appointment to meet today, I was really in awe with like how quickly you responded to setting up the appointment, just getting it on the calendar. There's no, um, doesn't seem like a lot of lingering. How, how do you think about that? Like, how does that really, is that something you think about a lot where you don't let things sit around? Like that really stuck out for me. I would just like to hear a little bit more about your approach there. Yeah. It's become a a habit um, to do that. I don't even think about it. It's just, it just happens automatically. It all um, stems from uh, my natural inclination for anxiety. Uh, so when I have a lot of things that pile up and I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I, I get into this anxious state and then, you know, anger takes over or, um, you know, emotions are, are driving my decision-making. And that's usually not a, a good thing, not a good thing for anyone really. So um, in order to alleviate the first steps of, of anxiety, um, I basically divide my tasks into things. If I can do it immediately, I do it immediately like you, you were talking about. If certain things will take time or will depend on other people um, giving their two cents, um, I, I usually think about it for a minute because I'm also in the habit of not redoing things. I like to do things once and, and, and that's over. Um, so really thinking strategically and deeply about how to best do something um, and get it done as quickly as possible. So um, I have, I, you know, everywhere I go, you know, on my laptop right now, I have a checklist, right? I, I'm a checklist um, advocate in all the way because, and I like writing too. There's something about handwriting your tasks 
that's not the same thing with, with putting them on the computer for some reason, but handwriting your task and putting that square box next to it and checking that square box every day has a, has a level of satisfaction um, that I'm sure there's like some level of dopamine happening in your brain when, when, when you check that box, that's it. That it does two things. One, you've, you've done the work, so bravo. But two, um, it eliminates that task from your brain. So your brain has more space to, to, to do other things. And that other things that's very important is be creative, right? Being creative does require um, a lot of brain space, um, a lot of physical space around you sometimes as well, especially when you're thinking about very complex problems. So not having to think about things, not having to worry about what other people think about you being, you know, 20 hours late at something. That's, that's, that's not, that's not part of it. Another thing that that kind of drove this is um, my, my complete inability to be comfortable being late. Uh, I, I really, really hate, 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 hate being late. It, it creates, like, I can, he- I can feel my, my blood boiling in, in my entire body. It's just, I, it's a, it's a huge sign of disrespect for me. Um, so I don't want to impose that on others. So, uh, so yeah, never be late on things that you promise, but also be very realistic about what you promise. Yeah. I mean, it all goes back to owning your truth, setting the right boundaries that, you know, you need to set to help everyone be successful. Cause if you're owning your own way of operating, then everyone can get on board. But if we're trying to do things and we're saying yes to things that aren't aligned, then that's just going to cause chaos down the line for everyone else. When you're canceling at the last minute or you're running late because you weren't actually thinking through how long it feasibly takes. Um, But I totally agree with you that I write everything in my journal that I have to do for the day. um, And I get so much satisfaction out of checking those boxes with my pen. So I I completely agree. That's so fascinating. The other thing I would just really love to kind of close on is you design basically the future of everything. And I would love to hear if you've designed so much across so many different categories already, things that people wouldn't even dream of. What do you think helps you really create that space? I know one of the things might be getting some of those menial tasks off your list so that you have that space to create, but if you could dream big of like what your biggest, um, best dream is to design in the future, what would that be? And, and how do you think you're going to be able to get there? Uh, I, I feel like I'm doing it already. So I, I have the, the exquisite privilege to have projects that come to me that go beyond my own imagination, you know, like the, the future of fashion uh, project we were talking about earlier that that is so massive I, I i haven't wrapped my head around it yet you know designing the future of how we're going to um, um feed people, astronauts that go to that go to to long-term missions in space you know that's one step towards turning us into an interplanetary species which i find extremely fascinating um you know the future of education you know thinking about how we we educate uh, people, not only young people, but like people of all ages, integrate the idea of lifelong learning and how that supports people in their personal and professional development, uh, supports mental health, uh, you know, supports neurodiversity um, and diversity in general. Um, you know, all, all of these 
major problems uh, are, are so incredible. Another thing that we're doing too is, um, um, you know, teaching creativity to generals and police chiefs, you know, people like that. Like the, the influence of all of this is, is so, so great. Like my own imagination could not even think of like doing that. They came to us. So, but all of this has a same goal. And that goal is to create the greatest positive impact on this planet. I believe that actually each of us have that power, right? I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, it'd be nice to like do this like tiny little thing. No, go big, go big. Like you have to go big. You have to think big and you have to surround yourself with people who can do these things big with you. Um, and, and, and each of our brains, each of our bodies and our experience and our intuition can get us there. Um, all we have to do is start. It's very uncomfortable to start first. I mean, when I started, um, you know, doing all this work, I was like, oh, no, this is not really what I, what I, what I, you know, set myself to do. And, and this is going to be very difficult. How am I going to find clients and this and that. And once you have consistency, once you have a very clear goal that you make very, you put out in your universe in all the forms that you know, uh, and, and you work very hard at executing every single thing that you put yourself out to do. That's when the trust comes up, you know, the random people trusting that you can do the work and then yet you should do the work. And that's, just, that's the state I'm in right now. You know, I mean, personally and, and with the company, we are attracting all of these clients that want to change the world, um, and 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 I think that's that's a wonderful thing to be to be hearing every day, right? I I get to talk to people who are pretty well off, right, billionaires or so, and they're like, okay, I have enough money to, to, to for for like thirty generations behind me. What am I going to do with this? You know, do you want to do you want to fix gigantic problems today, or do you want to go with it into your grave? So. Um, so they chose, they choose to do that, that first part. And, uh, we're here to help them do it in a way that tells wonderful stories, but also shows results. And it, to think that it all really started with you just believing in yourself enough to try something different and to know that you were going to be out of your comfort zone to begin with, but to not let that stop you. I think so much of why we don't think we can do or go after our dreams is that we put these perceived limits on ourselves. And we don't think we let our confidence block us. If we don't have the confidence that can just look past and say, well, what if I just try it? Even if it's messy at first, especially it's going to be messy at first as you're figuring it out. But the more you're stepping in, you're signaling to the universe, Hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm trying out. This is what I'm going for. And then it almost feels like this magical thing happens where then people are seeking you out. You don't even have to look for the right people to work with that understand what you're all about, because the more you're putting your heart and your skills out there and just letting yourself lead with curiosity, then the opportunities and the right people come to you. And then you can get to the next level and the next level and keep going from there. That's just such an inspiring way to live and to build a business. And I think it obviously already has taken you so far. And I just love watching and witnessing the journey um, and learning all the cool projects you work on. And um, you've inspired me so much in my life with just 
working past my own blocks and things that I get stuck on with business. You're such a mentor to me. And I just really appreciate you so much and um, would love if you could tell people where they could find out more about you, learn a little bit about you, if they want to continue this conversation. Cause I feel like there's just so much we could cover with everything that you touch and work on. Yeah. Well, thank you first for uh, inviting me on this. Uh, I've been seeing you uh, transforming into the person you've always wanted to be. And uh, I, I can see in your face, like there's so much more joy uh, than, than you had a few years ago. And, and that's so, so wonderful. Thank and I've, I really cherish our friendship, right? We've known each other for what? Eight years? Almost, almost to, yeah, eight years, yeah. 2015. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, and it's been amazing. Um, it, it's nice to have someone you know, who's growing around you because it's, it's, it's so inspiring to see and growing their own way. Right. Because, uh, you know, when you go on LinkedIn, for example, you see a lot of people growing in the most, uh, ordinary ways, you know, climbing up a ladder or getting a promotion. I'm like, okay, fine. But, you know, what are you actually doing? I'm not sure. Um, but, but really finding your path and giving it your flavor and then, you know, um, going through successes and failures and just like picking your yourself up and then doing it again. Uh, that's, that's admirable to me. Um, so yeah, in terms of like where, where people can find, uh, find me, you know, LinkedIn, uh, and Instagram. I don't have a personal Instagram, which a lot of people are asking for, but I devastated by, <laughs> I don't, I don't have time. Um, so you can find my, my company, it's, uh, Instagram at nonfiction.design. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, I usually complain about design education and how people uh, are not very creative. <laughs> um, and, um, and, uh, oh, we have a, a video series that we've been producing for about two years now called future future. And what it is, is that is me and my partner and husband, uh, speaking about design and the future of everything. And so we do that in layman's terms to really welcome the whole of humanity to be part of the conversation about how to best design the future of everything. I love that series so much. Uh, it really does make it more feel more approachable because before I even sort of watching that series and you would tell me what you do. Like, I think only about 25% of my brain comprehended what we were talking about. That series really helped kind of build the bridge and make it more accessible. I started really understanding design doesn't have to be on this ledge or this pedestal that we think it's on. It's, it can be approachable to the masses. And that series is, it's so fun too. And it's also fun to see how you and Martis bounce off one another, work together, and both have something so important and valuable to contribute to the conversation. So I love that series. I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. Thank you for having me on. Uh, that was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.